Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, academic, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I hold space for women and non-binary individuals to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for being here today and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Ginny. Ginny Luther is a dynamic and captivating speaker. I love fun words like dynamic and captivating, just a side note. Um, In high demand for parenting and education professionals, workshops, classes, and support groups, specializing in Dr. Becky Bailey's conscious discipline and brain smart strategies, Ginny's overflowing positive energy is contagious. She has a tremendous ability to enthusiastically connect with all ages while offering life-changing personal solutions. Ginny is an extremely creative and shares practical strategies and solutions to any difficult issue. Yeah. Pulling from her own array of life experiences combined with her charismatic personality leaves everyone thirsty for more of her tremendous knowledge. I'm going to link up the rest of Ginny's bio in the show notes um, because she has a lot of wonderful information here. Um, But Ginny, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for inviting me. I feel honored. Well, in your application, you talked about parenting, um, which you kind of mentioned a little bit in your bio and and more. You go into more detail later on. But um, So I would love for you to kick it off with your parenting journey. We all have, I always tell people like what we do and what we're interested in often stems from our own personal experiences, right? So right now, um, I want to be a psychology professor. I am uh, interested in psychology because of my own mental health issues and stuff like that. Um, I'm interested in prejudice and stigma because I've experienced it myself and I know other people who have. So we usually typically have some seed of experience that made us, inspired us to be who we are today. So share with us about your parenting journey. Well, when I started my parenting journey, I was working in a psychiatric center, (laughs) (laughs) pathologist, believe it or not, working with pre-K children who had like the most severe emotional and sexual abuse issues, three and four year olds. And at the time I was married and it wasn't a real happy marriage, but we we were, we were going, I really wanted to be a parent. I just was once something I always wanted to do. And I always wanted to work with kids. And so I was very excited about being a parent. And my firstborn was, was Nick. And I was thrilled. He was flexible. He was, he was that kid that you could take anywhere and you could change plans and he would just kind of go with the flow. All of that was fine. And then my marriage started to fall apart. Mm-hmm. So up goes stress, right? So my stress in my life was horrible. And I actually got pregnant with my second son, which who was Bart. Okay. Now Bart came in this world ready to fight. He was ready to tear down. He was ready to challenge the world. He was ready to be a leader, which at the time I didn't know because of my background and how I was raised, Mm -hmm. I turned into a control freak Mm -hmm. and um, I needed to get him under control. He was a kid that would throw 45 minute violent tantrums every day. And it didn't matter what you threatened him with. 
he just was challenged by it. And so I was exhausted. I was working with preschoolers all day long. And I, and I, then I would come home and I didn't even want to come home. I didn't even want to come home. I was, I thought, what am I going to come home to? I just, why did I have this child? I just hated parenting from wanting it so much to then hating being in it because I couldn't take one more hour of this child. And I remember I came home one day and the kids are at me, you know, mommy, this, mommy, that, mommy, this, Mm -hmm. mommy, that. And then he started to get on the couch and he was flicking the lights on and he was two years old, back and forth and back and forth. And I kept saying, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. And before I knew it, there was that moment where I went into action watching myself, just like, like, just like a movie. You know, you're watching yourself in a movie, watching myself act stupid. I go into the kitchen. I pull out a wooden spoon. I go to him. I get down on his level, just looking like the Wicked Witch of the West and threatening his life and saying, if you do that one more time, this is going to go on your bottom. Now, I'm a professional speech pathologist working in a psychiatric center with a, on an interdisciplinary team right. with a lot of psychological professionals. And here I was watching myself act like this. And the worst part about it was he looked at me right in the eye with a sideways smile, pulled down his pants, stuck his butt in my face <gasps> and said, come on and spank me. So that was my epiphany. And the reason why it was an epiphany for me, because it was at that moment, I realized I had lost control. I had lost control. There wasn't anything that I, that was my last straw. My last straw was that wooden spoon. And I, cause I knew it would work. And of course it wasn't working. So then his whole life went in front of me and I had him as a serial killer by the time he was 16, <laughs> wondering how I was going to get through those 16 or 14 remaining years till 16. I just was beside myself. But there was a moment that I said, there's more to this than just him. Do you know what I mean? It's not about me controlling him. I don't know what, there's got to be a better way. There just has to be a better way. Because what I'm doing, which is everything in the book that I was using, which was traditional psychological approaches to managing behavior, it wasn't working with him. I tried bribes. I tried threats. I tried spanking him. I tried restraining him. I tried everything, coercion, manipulation. I tried it all. None of it worked with him. So that began my journey. Wow. (laughs) I'm a mom too. A mom of four. So I'm sitting here going, wow. And I was a single parent. So, you know, the stress level with a single parent is you're working all day, you come home and you're working all day. And and all you all I kept looking forward to was that glass of wine at night where I didn't have to hear all these little voices nagging at me all day long. I just wanted space and I couldn't get it. And so I blamed the kids. And so my journey from that mo- that moment of that wooden spoon started me on another journey. I didn't know what the better way was but I knew I had to be open to it. Energetically, I needed to be open to it. I was looking forward to some more things coming. So after I divorced, we divorced my husband and I, I moved to Florida and that's when it it all began where I started to to take classes that were based on relationship. There were parenting classes that were based on relationship versus control and punishment and rewards. And so that began my journey because what I recognized was it wasn't all, it wasn't just about him. We were in this journey together 
And he was teaching me about myself as much as I was teaching him about his self. And I recognized that this was a relationship that I needed to foster versus try to control. I needed to connect in this relationship so he could make sense out of his world and I could make sense out of mine. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and, it does. And so I started a peaceful parenting business. Um, and I, I started that in 1993 and he was at that time, he was, uh, maybe eight or nine, maybe 10. Um, but up to that point, I would I had taken classes. I was starting to change my ways. I was starting to look for different things. And I started to teach it because it was so important for me to keep learning. And I knew through teaching, I was learning. So, and then I met Dr. Bailey in 1996 and she asked me to be a master instructor for her. And so I traveled all over the nation in the world teaching conscious discipline, which says discipline isn't something we do to children. Discipline is something we help to develop in themselves. Now that's was a relief to me because it was like, I'm not responsible for your behavior. I'm responsible for helping you understand your choices and for you taking responsibility for the choices that you're making in a way that's not shaming or guilting or any of that just helping you to make better choices or choices that have the outcome that you want in your life. And Bart gave me that journey. I mean, there were so many challenges. So, so many, and I wrote a book about it, but the, the, he, there were so, so many challenges that he gave me opportunities to reflect on myself and say, okay, what's my part in this? What, what am I doing that's triggering him? Because my response has an impact on his response. And especially young children. And as I learned, children under three, they can't regulate their emotions without you. They have to have you there to help them regulate because they don't have a sense of self. And that doesn't start to really emerge until age three. So they see themselves through you. And if you're pointing your finger or you got a wooden spoon in front of their face, you're threatening a state in a child that needs regulation. They need your guidance and regulation. Yeah. And some, uh, some of us might be thinking like, cause me, I'm like, well, does that mean I don't ground my kids when they do something wrong? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that, that you're really saying, does that mean I don't provide consequences? Yes. Right? Yes. That, that's... that they don't take responsibility because consequences are designed to teach and motivate your child to do something different. But that never happens with threat. It doesn't happen with rewards. That's that they then blame you for why they have to take another choice versus really owning it. And that's the difference. So everything I do and teach is around helping your children to internalize responsibility, internalize their choices, internalize self to build their self-worth through value and responsibility. So how that works is, yes, there's consequences. And really what you're saying, are there boundaries? Yes, there's boundaries. They but Yeah, boundaries. that's probably a good, good clarification is boundaries. boundaries. Yeah, it's like, it's like if you have a, a playground, children, and they've done studies on this, children do really well when there's a fence around a playground. Why? Because it's a boundary. But in, within the boundary is a lot of choice. 
right? So you may not go here, but you can do this or this. Does that make sense? You may not climb the fence and leave. That's not safe. You can pull, you can choose the slide or the jungle gym. What are you going to choose? That's a simple, simple skill that I use when I'm disciplining children. So, you, you know, you may not hit your friends. You can choose to use your words or tap them to get their attention. Right. But you right. may not. hit. So, yes, there's lots and lots of boundaries. Structure is so important. Everyone needs boundaries. The most incorrigible children that I've met in my life are in families where they don't have boundaries. Oh, they're the yeah. most the worst misbehaved children in my life. And there's some people who I believe that's a way of parenting is to they've they've taken this they've taken this idea of like no you should not take a wooden spoon to your child's bottom right they've taken that to this extreme of like there's sh- like we shouldn't have consequences at all and so well you're saying I think that's I, not what to do no i think where parents confuse it and adults working with children confuse it they think that once our job is to help them to regulate their emotions which means we have to be empathetic we can't try to shut down uh emotions upset or happy because all of us want as parents just a little bit happy not a lot happy a little happy and a lot calm. Then we know our children are quote unquote good. Okay. But they have a range of emotions and most of us don't know what to do with those emotions. We don't know how to help them regulate them. So we either reward them if they shut down or we punish them to shut down. Does that make sense? Yeah. But the emotions are there to help them regulate. It's an important part of them being to signal the brain, signal the body to say something in the world isn't going right for you. Pay attention to your feeling. Right. Yeah. So we've only rewarded kids when they're happy and we've punished all the other feelings. Does that make sense? So then they get afraid. And so then they don't know how to regulate their feelings. So it internalizes and look at our culture today. We have a gazillion kids that are, they've got depression, anxiety, bipolar. They are off the charts because they don't, and, you know, eating disorders, cutting disorders, all kinds of things because they don't know how to regulate their feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah. So boundaries are really important. It's how you, it's really the adult and what your intention is in delivering it. So if my intention is to teach, I'm going to say, listen, you can ride your bike on the, on the, uh, you have a choice. You've been, you've been choosing to ride out on the street, your bike. And I've Mm -hmm. told you several times that's not safe. So now, now I'm going to deliver consequence, right? So now If you choose to ride in the street, you can choose to ride in the street and I will be taking the bike away, or you can choose to stay in the driveway and you can keep riding. Gotcha. So then go out in the street, I take the bike away. Now, if, if I am punishing, I'm going to say, what, don't even start with me. Don't give me any of that emotional stuff. I told you what was going to happen. You knew what was going to happen. So don't give me a hard time. Or I'm going to save him, which is another thing you don't want to do. Sweetheart, what did I tell you? 
We talked about this. I told you I would take the bike away if you went on the street. And I know you still want to play. So I'm going to give you one more chance. No, you don't want to do that either. Right. Do you hear the difference? Yeah. The goal is to say, oh, man, you were hoping you would have chosen to stay on the driveway. You can try again tomorrow. Now, does that mean they're going to calm down? No, they're probably going to get more pissed. (laughs) Yes, they do. That's okay. Because that upset state is the teacher that's teaching them. I don't like the feeling of not being able to ride my bike, right? I don't like the feeling of disappointment, but the disappointment says, next time when I say, if you choose to ride in, on, the, on the driveway, I will be taking your bike away. Remember how I felt about that last time? It's not going to be, she's going to take it away because she's such a mean mom. I'm going to see if I can get away with it. See, if I use punishment or rewards, there's wiggle room. Consequences, you know, are just something to try to, to get in between and wiggle through. And hopefully you won't get caught. So how did you handle Bart's tantrums using this method? Like, Well, I because... didn't use this method because I didn't have it at the time. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Right. But um, he managed, he was, you know, he and I are very similar. So uh, he managed over time to reduce those, to reduce those. And in fact, my now um, husband, who I married before we came down here, was I started to do family meetings and we started to do like family negotiation. He just felt like he's a very power. He was a very powerful. He actually was murdered, but oh, wow. he, he was a very, very powerful leader. Um, and he was in the military too. Right? <laughs> he, was, he was a tank commander and he was in the military as well. But we started having family meetings when they were like six, seven and eight to mm-hmm. negotiate things that were negotiable. There are some things that are not negotiable, but things that were negotiable that we could hand them the responsibility to do and make agreements about so that we could hold them accountable when they, when they didn't choose to be accountable, it was all on the table. Do you know what I mean? So they, they felt that democratic process. They felt like their voice was heard. They felt, um, that they had some say in their life, especially as they got older, you know, they start turning tween and they want to stay up later or they want to, yeah. they, they want more iPad time or they want, there's some things you want to negotiate with them and hold them responsible to. It doesn't yes. mean you're going to give up your side. It means you're willing to make an agreement with them so that they can hold up their side and they can show that they're taking responsibility. So the family meeting really sets up And I would say that's when they're older, like seven, eight years old, you can start doing that. It holds them together. So it holds, it holds them responsible because it's all kind of on the table. Yeah. They must feel like they're, I I feel like when I have these discussions with my children, they feel like their voice is heard, right? My, my children are older. They're not little kids anymore. Um, A lot of times we discuss like, what do you think would be a, proper consequence for your actions if you do this and we've come to an agreement like I I lean more on groundation and that is exactly like you said is like I say if you choose to do this then that then you're going to have to deal with 
not having your electronics. One of the consequences if they don't do their homework and so their grades are coming down is during the week they're not allowed to have their they're not allowed to play on their electronics. That's and I don't do it for the whole year. I'll do it by quarter. So at the end of that quarter we have a reset, right? Cuz I don't want them to like mess up you know in the very beginning of the year and then never I feel like that's kind of extreme. Well that's um, but that, Yeah, that but that's cute. what we discuss is hey, you have a choice here. If you choose not to do your homework, this is what's going to happen. And they've said they 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 think it's they think it's fair when it's not going on. Of course. How old are they? <laughs> My youngest are 12. Okay, so they're going to wiggle and, and weave and bob when they're teens. Is but the more clarity, yeah. the better. But what you're doing is you're providing natural consequences. The more natural and related the consequence is, the more likely it will motivate them and teach them. So I had the same thing with Bart. He didn't, you know, he didn't do a a project. It was a science fair project. He didn't start on time. I told him what would happen. And um, I said to him, you know, he says, mom, I don't want to go to school today because my science fair projects do. And I said, no, you don't get to do that. That's the agreement you have with the teacher, like the teacher you had an agreement with that teacher. And so you can't renege on that. I said, you didn't get it done the way you wanted to get it done. He says, well, if I have the weekend, I'll be able to get it done and hand it on Monday. I said, no, it's due today. Mm -hmm. So here's your choice. You can choose to go to school and get the grade that you get and keep your computers because back then we didn't have iPads keep yeah. computer, um, and, and, and watch TV, or you can uh, wait the entire weekend and redo your project and you will not have computer or TV for two weeks. And he chose the weekend. He chose to not have computer and, and, and TV for two weeks which was hard because back then that was a big deal, right? And right. husband wanted to give in at some point. This is the other thing. <laughs> Don't give in. You've got to follow through with what you say. So mm -hmm. be careful what you say, because I've had teachers say, you touch that, I'm going to break your arm. Nope, that's not a good consequence. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So um, yeah. And he, at one point he said, listen, he's done so well for a week. You know, Bart. I said, I don't care. That's the agreement. That's what we had. And that's what was going to happen. And so he's got to, He's got to get, he's got to feel the disappointment. That's enough for him, right? If we could, if we could ahead of time, make the agreements, he would often give himself more time because he knew that was more, that would teach him. Do you know what I mean? Not to yeah. punish, but he was like, I know I'll feel it if you give me two weeks. So as when I would say just the weekend. So that's funny, but yes, you want it natural. So the more related it makes it more natural. And it, the more related it is and reasonable, it's got to be reasonable. You can't mm -hmm. like say, take away the computer for the whole year. That's not reasonable. And it's related. It Ultimately, it teaches responsibility. So that exactly what you're doing is that's fine. It's just, you got to ask whatever the consequence is. And it gets harder when they're older. Is this related? As, mm -hmm. as they get harder, it's older. So yeah, if they don't do their homework or another thing, they don't, they're not accountable to you. They're supposed to call you or connect with you right after school for where they're going or whatever, so that you know where they are. That's what happens a lot with teens. 
So the consequence for Bart was, no, you don't get to go. You don't get to go out this weekend with your friends this whole next week. You can have your friends come, but you may not go out. Yeah. Difference. That's reasonable. It's because, because the idea is to help you be accountable to us. And so I Mm -hmm. know you're accountable and I know you're here. So (laughs) I got you here for a week. Yeah. But I need to do that. Those were only like every once in a while because he really got it. The, does that make sense? He really understood it was reasonable and it was a natural and it. So it's more, the more you can do that, the better, the harder it is, is with very young children because young children don't have the skills that we want them to have. And so often the natural, the natural consequence for a young child is to teach them what to do instead. And a lot of people don't want to do that. So if you hit your sister, right? Well, that's it. Go to your room because we don't act like that in this house. We're nice. Okay. Well, you did act like that and it wasn't nice. And so the idea is when they're four, she wanted her attention or she wanted her to share or she wanted her to ask because she was grabbing something, which is usually what it's about with a four-year-old. Then you teach the child in that moment. When you want her attention, tap her like this, call her name. When you want a turn, say, may I have a turn? When you want space, say, I'm not ready to share right now. But you've got to do that so many times before they actually get it. So it can be very frustrating for parents with really young children because it's a constant teaching thing. See, and I thought raising teenagers was the hardest. So my oldest... My oldest is 20 and I had the, with you don't her, look old enough to have, you just don't. I, I was a teen mom. Um, <laughs> but she, I feel like when she was a teenager, that was the hardest point in raising her. Uh, she just like became super rebellious and we had to do with a lot of boundaries. And I, I was, I struggled the most with her being a teenager. I really did. Well, it is a hard time. It's just different, right? Because yes. there, uh, there's two times of life. There's actually three times of life where self-actualization begins to emerge on a biological way. Okay. One is when they're two and three because their sense, their psychological self is born literally. And so when that's born, psychological self is ego. It's I, it says I, I, I. So now I need to do it. Me do it. I do it my way. I'm going to do it. You want this? No, I don't want to go there. Mommy, stop laughing. Stop all that kind of stuff. They're just incorrigible and they're intense tantrums. And for a lot of kids, it's, they have intense tantrums. Parents can't even believe how. The terrible twos. (laughs) You can, yeah, they call it terrible twos, tumultuous twos. Um, The truth is they're going through a developmental period. Well, that also begins to merge again at teens. And that's because they're biologically getting ready to start their own tribe. Mm. So they have to find out who they are outside their tribe, the one they're in, which is you. And so they are going to defy everything. They don't want to be near you. They don't Mm -hmm. want to roll their eyes. When you say something, you can just be standing in a room and they're like, right and so because they need to find out who they are without your permission does that make sense and so they play they play like adults and sometimes it's risky and whoa it can get it can get really hard 
But but if you do the work ahead of time, it can be a lot easier. But that's that's the second time of life. And girls' peak time is 16. Oh, yeah. Boys' peak time is 14. 14, just, really? Before girls? Yeah. But, you know, th- this is development with boys and girls. I mean, girls yeah. are neurologically, they're way ahead of the game when they're young. And then the boys kind of catch up. And then gotcha. it's this. The, then, then the third time, the third big time of self-actualization about how you really want to focus on yourself is when you're in your 40s. Well, I haven't reached that yet. <laughs> and you start re-examining your life. You know, this is where midlife crises happen, divorces start to happen, all kinds of stuff start to happen, right? Um, and you're like, you're reevaluating. Is this what I really want to do? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Retirement's another one. It's another the, one. The empty nesting, I'm sure, is one too. Or would that be one? Um, yes. It's that you're you're it, there's it's all through your life, but the three big ones are two teens and forties. Gotcha. In general. Um, yes, as I, I'm 68 and I'm, uh, I've been contemplating retirement for quite a while now. Everyone says, you've been saying you're going to retire for seven years <laughs> right. and you haven't retired. I said, yeah, I'll probably never retire. But, <laughs> um, it's this transition of where's my self-value? Where's my value if I'm not working? Yeah. It's the work I do is really valuable. And, um, so to stop it, it's it, it. I have my own self identity attached with that, and that mm. means to just take care and care of me. I can't even fathom that. Yeah, it's a piece of me that's tired and wants more time. And yeah, they say um, in developmental psychology, I was fortunate. I took one developmental psychology course that went from birth to death, which was really insightful. A lot of developmental psychology classes are just focused on like the, you know, up to adulthood. Um, But this one went from birth to death. And one of the things you learned in it was after retirement, the people who continue that their health doesn't decline immediately are the ones that have hobbies and have things outside of their work that helps them to um, find purpose. Because otherwise the health has been found to decline pretty rapidly after retirement because there is nothing, no purpose. Oh, you're, it's kind of a weird word. If you think about it, retired means I'm ready to die in my opinion. So yeah, I I don't think I'll stop because I've, I keep doing stuff and people keep asking me. I don't, I've not solicited anything, any business for 10 years. Not us. No, it's like, I got enough. (laughs) And so I'm fine. It's not to say if there's somebody out there that wants to connect with me, I'm certainly happy to help, but um but yeah, so there's those time periods. And so those are the times that every parent dreads because, oh God, I can't wait till they're out of the house and they're on their own. Well, they they still continue to grow and have their defiant periods. And it's parenting from a grandparents or from a parent, an adult, when you're parenting an adult parent is a whole nother experience too. I think it's a book to be written. Have have you struggled with that as somebody who, um, in what ways have you struggled with that as someone who teaches 
all of this about parenting and watching your own children or child. I don't know if your other child had any children before he passed, but watching your own children parent, how has that been for you? Have you struggled with that? I have struggled with it. I I think, you know, um, it's an interesting because you learn right away, like, okay, I do what I do. So, you know, when I'm thinking I'm helpful, which a lot of parents are trying to be helpful, I mean, and it comes off as criticism. That's not something I do. You know, I've always said to my kids, I want a relationship with my grandchildren and I don't want you to interfere with my relationship as long as I'm not punishing them or spoiling them. I don't want you to interfere with my relationship. And that's the problem is that they that they don't, it's hard for parents to let go and let grandparents mm-hmm. be grandparents and ha- and establish a relationship because I think a par- a grandparent relationship with a grandchild is so special. It's just mm-hmm. very special. And we, we as grandparents know what you're going through. We've been there. Right. We understand the busyness of it. We understand all the stress of all that you that's needed to be done. And that you can't have the time that you want with your kids. Even though in your mind you're saying, I want that time, I want more connected time, it's really hard to do when you're so busy and you have to worry about everything. Grandparents come in and they just get to be. Yeah. They get to be. Now, are they going to do everything exactly the way you want them to? No. They're going to make mistakes, right? They're they're going to make mistakes. They're grandparents. You know, they're aging. They're going to make some mistakes, Right. But the hardest thing I think is both sides letting go, you know, mm-hmm. let go. Cause there's a lot of grandparents that want to tell their kids exactly how to parent. I never do that. Never, ever, ever. But I think because I do what I do, they probably feel like I'm criticizing them. They feel like that. That's a perception, right? Right. Definitely a perception. I have never, ever, ever thought that they have done the wrong, right or wrong thing. Does that make sense? They yeah. do what they do. And so that's their life with their kids. But it has been a thorn with with my firstborn and and um his family. Um, because they are they, they you know, they they pretty much have said this is the way and you can't talk to him like that. Blah blah blah. Anyway, uh, it's I I it's weird, but I have to respect <laughs> whatever it is. They don't like the way I'm playing with him. Um so I can't be relaxed. It's not a relaxed environment. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It does make sense. Um, I see. I ask because I'm sitting here as someone who has an adult child and um, it's a, I don't know, I could be a grandparent any freaking day. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, do I want her to be a parent at such a young age? No, not, not really. But like, that doesn't mean I don't get to tell her what to do. Like she's an adult, she is going to make decisions and she's going to make mistakes and she's going to, you know, do things on her own. But I'm sitting here thinking like, I literally could be a grandparent at any time. So that's why I was really curious about, you know, how you have approached grandparent being a grandparent. I'm, I, I, I got a general mission, which is um, be open and also um, do not give information unless it's heated ever. So I've always been that way. I started to give them some books and some children's books and they, they just interpreted that they interpreted that as I was trying to tell them how to parent. 
So it was not what I was trying to do. It was trying to be helpful. Right. So there is this perception too, I think, and I don't know if it's in our DNA or not, but there's this tribal thing that I think begins to happen when a family, when your children start to create their own families and especially with daughters, okay, of sons. So I did a talk once and I was talking to the mothers and a lot of mothers were saying, my mother-in-law, and I said, you know, I just want to ask you a question about that. I said, because I'm a mother-in-law and- right. I see you guys roll your eyes all the time and like you like it's not it's not good is what it is tell me about that and so they were saying well she's always doing this and she's always cleaning the kitchen she's always doing that she's always and I said well okay so I do that too like I'll wake up early in the morning and I'll clean the kitchen for them and then then there's this break in the relationship and I don't know is what if your mother-in-law cleans your kitchen, what's your thought? And they said, well, she's criticizing me. I said, well, what do you mean she's criticizing you? Well, I should have had my kitchen clean. I said, well, if your mother came and did that, how would you feel? Well, that'd be fine. My mother's helping me. And I got that constant response when I would ask this question. And I said, that is just so interesting to me with two grandmas trying to be helpful that one's perceived as helpful and the other's perceived as interfering. So I think there's a little bit of energy around that. I haven't done the research on it. Yeah. But I, I bet if there's there's research on that, that there there would be someone out there that would know that this is this is a thing. And there is a a, a there is one of those old wives tales, you know, a, a daughter is a daughter for life, a son is a son is a son until he takes a wife. So there, there is something to be said for that. Um, and I, I just have had a lot of friends who've gone through the same thing. It's really hard. It's just really hard. Yeah. I see. I would take it both, both as I'm not doing a good job, no matter which, whether it was my mother or my mother-in-law, I would take it as like, I'm not doing a good job cleaning. So the, I would take it either way. I would take it from both of them. That's, that's how I would take it. But so, I, can, but what, what, why wouldn't you want to see that as helpful? Maybe because, especially with my mom, my, I don't have a relationship with my mom anymore because she doesn't know how to respect boundaries um, and is very critical of me. So I would take it especially from her because she's always been critical of me. So like, it doesn't seem helpful because she's always been critical. You need to now read I, <laughs> I need to read your book. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The problem, the, the problem is um, with her is she's... Um, like I said, she's very critical to me. Uh, last time we spoke, she told me she wished I had never been born because I ruined her life. So that was a good time. Oh, yeah. That's hard. That's very, yeah. very hard. Those hard, those are such hard things. And, you know, I went through a, a real hard time with my mom too. You know, my dad committed suicide when I was 15. And, oh, wow. Um, our family, instead of coming together, just got fractured, um, completely fractured and everybody went their own way. And um, I, I struggled a lot. I struggled a lot with my mom because she became an alcoholic overnight. And mm. I was her surrogate. Oh, so yeah. Parent, you know, I was her surrogate parent. So I was mm. staying up at night with her. She wanted me to drink with her. She was doing all this stuff. And underneath as a 15 year old, I was so resentful, but I didn't know why I felt guilty all the time. I felt exhausted. I felt responsible for her happiness. I was afraid that she was going to commit suicide because she threatened it 
many, many times. But I will say with that background, um, I did get through it, Megan. I got through it and I got through it in a big way with her because of, of how I disciplined myself, how I chose to see it differently and chose to reconnect with her in ways and skills of which I use, which is conscious discipline. You can you can go to the Conscious Discipline website. It's a fascinating program, Seven Power, Seven Skills. And you actually teach, you teach yourself while you're teaching children. And it's really transforming. And, and that's mine is my transformational process from, from controlling Bart to connection was using that relationship base of skill to be able to forgive to be able to not have to forgive, <laughs> to be able to see the best, to be also able to see, really see what's going on. I, I'm sure your mom's hurting too. Oh, you I'm sure. I, I know. Not a, I know there's not is, a mother but... in the world that doesn't stop loving their children. Do you know what I mean? But frustration, yeah. She just doesn't know how to, she doesn't know how to express it. She doesn't know how to, she doesn't know how to do it. And so one yeah. day with my mom, and this is a story, but with my mom, I, um, she was criticizing me every, every other thing. You should do this. You shouldn't do this. You should do this. You have to do it. Why do you do that? Why do you do it that way? Why is your hair like that? Why don't you, it was constant. That's all I ever heard. Okay. And so, um, when I was in my late forties and you've got time <laughs> but <laughs> in my late 40s and I was doing this work, maybe early fifties and late forties, I'd say. I decided, I made a decision that I was going to try to see what she was trying to communicate to me, try to see it differently. Mm. Was she really trying to make me feel bad about who I was, or was she really trying to be helpful and prevent me from mistakes? It was my choice how I saw it. So I chose to say, I think she's trying to be helpful. I really do. I'm her only daughter. She wants the best for me. I know that's what she wants. I'm not totally out of her life, but it's the criticism that got in the way. And it was me just trying to get off the phone or I don't want to come. I don't want to see you. I don't want to be with you. So finally, I went over to her house one day. She started right in. Why didn't you know? Why is, you know, why did, why did you send Bart to the army? Why'd you let him go? All this stuff. And I said, you know what, mom? I, I literally said this. I think you don't want me to make mistakes. And I think that you really want the best for me. And so when you tell me what I should do, I think that's your way of saying it. But I just want you to know, every time you tell me I should, I feel not enough because I can't go backwards. And it tells me right in this space that I'm not enough to you. And yet I think you're trying to be helpful to me. And I said to her, so from now on in, Every time you say should, because, you know, I just want to hang up on you. I don't want to be with you. From now on in, I'm going to tell you, mom, you shouldn't should me. And then you can choose to change it. Well, she laughed. She laughed. She thought that was funny and she thought it was great. And then, and that changed our whole, just that little session changed our whole relationship. I go, there's the should mom. You're should me again. And she'd say, oh, and she'd laugh. I said, I know you're trying to be helpful. You want me to. I said, when you tell me you got this, Ginny, you, you can do this. This isn't what she was used to. She was used to a very critical mother herself. You know, what I want to hear is 
is your encouragement, mom, that you, that you know that I'm going to handle life. And so she started doing that. It changed our, it completely changed my relationship with her. It was amazing. That's wonderful. I'm glad that that happened with you. Um, I have, we don't have the time for me to delve in with you. <laughs> things yes. that have gone on. No, I get mind. it. But I'm just yeah. telling you, I'm just, what I'm saying to you is that so much of it, what I realized was about my perception. You know, it was, mm. I was perceiving that I was looking for every, every time you're going to be critical, I was looking for it because I knew you were going to say something. There it is, you know, trying to defend myself. And I kept doing that with Bart. I just took that into my relationship with Bart and said, you're doing this to me. You're doing this to me. If you just listen, I'm trying to take care of you and you're just not listening. It was that same energy that I was taking into that. Mm. And once I shifted my energy, then everything around me started to shift. Everything. Well, Ginny, as we wrap up the podcast today, since the time goes by super fast, (laughs) I always have people go, it's time already. And I'm like, yes, unfortunately it is time. Uh, What would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? Also make sure you mention um, the name of your book so people can pick it up. Okay. So the name of the book is called Blue Star Grit, A Mother's Journey of Triumph and Tragedy, Raising a Defiant Child into an Exceptional Leader. It's on Amazon. It's also Audible. So it's also on Barnes and Noble and Apple Books. You're like, it's everywhere. You could just Blue Blue Star Grit. Yeah. Blue Star Grit. It just released this year. Um, And that, so that's, and also to go to the consciousdiscipline.com website, because that itself is a journey. Once you, you stick your toe into that, then you realize it's really a big deal. This parenting thing and relationship thing is much bigger than just magic one, two, three. Do you know, it's not a quick fix program. It's transformational. It's about shifting yourself first. So you can be the, be the person that you want to be in your child's worst moments. And that's when it's hard when they're happy. It's fine. As right. long as you're not too happy, you know, it's fine. You're everything's good. It's when the upset comes that we, we watch ourselves go crazy, mm-hmm. you know, until we understand ourselves more than we can't understand children. I think, yeah, I think that's really important as a parent is you got to work on yourself, right? You can't be first. Uh, yeah. We all have things that we went through as children. Right. And we can carry those things. We can carry the parenting that we learned as a child into our children's lives. And most of the time, most of us, not everybody, but many people um, learn very problematic ways to raise children from our parents. Now, they, they learn from their parents and so on and so forth. So it's not a bash on parents, but we have to heal ourselves and we have to work on ourselves so we don't take all that that trauma or that problematic learning into the, our children's lives. And I I assume that's what you're saying. Yes. Break the chain, you know, be the person. This is all about being the change you want to see. So it, you will see change in your relationship. If you look at how you are, you are relating and knowing that your relationship, you, you have an impact, how you respond has a huge impact in how your children respond or anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that because I I'm a big proponent of healing yourself and not taking that baggage into your parenting and into your relationships, into your your marriage, 
your relationship with friends, all that is you got to heal the baggage. Yes, definitely. Well, Jeannie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I enjoyed every minute of it and getting to know you as well. So thank you. Thank you for tuning in with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or review. Follow us on social media at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, The Inspired Women Podcast.